the city prioritize access for them, no matter what community they live in, um, I think is really important. Um, when I think about wellness on a citywide scale, I think, you know, what kind of subsidized citywide programming do we have to teach people new skills, to connect people, to get people routed into activities that are healthy for the mind and the soul and the body. Welcome and thank you for pressing play. This is Dessert with D because who doesn't love a delicious dessert that makes you want to come back for more? And who doesn't love a juicy, engaging, insightful conversation that brings wellness to your life that just makes you want to come back for more? My name is Denise Chavez, and on Dessert with D, we are talking everything wellness, and we will leave no topic off the table. Each week, you will hear real-life stories, mind, body, and spiritual transformations from people who have turned painful, challenging times into their life's purpose. I will bring you insightful guests that will share wellness life hacks and tools that you can immediately put to work to enrich your life. Thank you for being my guest on Dessert With Me. Welcome to another episode of Dessert with D. Today, I, I want to preface a couple of things. Today, I am really excited because it is my first off-site episode. I'm actually calling in and have my guest uh, in Long Beach, and I'm calling in from Nashville, Tennessee, because the show must go on, and this special guest is bringing so much to the city of Long Beach. Um, I also want to just share, I've been a resident of Long Beach for over 30 years, uh, uh, Long Beach State alumni. I love um, my city. I love everything that it represents, the diversity. It's one of the most diverse cities in the United States um, and the most diverse city in Los Angeles. And I, my, my core belief is that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And this woman, as a mother, as a, um, as a wife, as a business owner, brings so much to the city of Long Beach and very soon. And Susie is um, running for mayor of Long Beach. While interning in law school, Susie helped a young rape victim obtain justice and through that experience found her calling. Susie has served as a criminal prosecutor and victim, victim's right advocate for over 20 years, putting domestic abusers, rapists, and violent criminals behind bars and seeking a voice for those who have been victimized by crime. And as I now have a platform, I thought it was so important to start interviewing the leadership to see what does wellness look like through Susie Price's eyes. So today I'd like to welcome Susie Price's as our guest um, in Dessert with D. So, so great to see you, uh, Susie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. Of course, of course. Um, so Susie, let's, let's kind of just get right into it a little bit. I, I'd like the, um, the, our listener to know a little bit about not the political side of you, but like, where did you come from? How did you, how are you here with me today in, 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 um, you know, in, with the opportunity to perhaps lead one of the most diverse, one of the largest cities in the United States. H how did you get here? Um, well, I have a very much like most people, I have a very interesting path. Um, mine is probably a little bit more 
um, unique than most. Um, I was born in the United States, but my family is from another country. And as a baby, we moved to Iran, which is where they're from. And in 1979, when I was seven years old, my mother and I left Iran. We left behind my father and my three-year-old sister. And we didn't see them for 21 years because my mother and I were not allowed back into the country. Um, And so I was raised by an amazing single mom who worked really hard to establish a footing for us here in the United States. My uncle, who was already here, who was a graduate, who was just finishing graduate school um, and becoming a professor, kind of took us in. We moved everywhere. We lived in Iowa for a year. We lived in Indiana for a year because he was teaching at different universities. And then my mother and I ended up in the San Fernando Valley. And uh, we moved into this apartment building with tons of immigrant families. It was just the coolest apartment building. Every night there was a courtyard in the middle and every night there'd be smells from all these different countries and different cooking that would come out. And that community was kind of our family. Sure. And um, to this day, the people that we met in that building, in that apartment building, um, are still our, our support system. There, a lot of them are still in our lives. And um, so we moved around a lot. Mom and I moved from, you know, apartment to apartment um, Mm -hmm. based on what we could afford. And my uncle helped us. And um, she became, she was a nurse. She became a public school nurse and she ended up retiring as a public school nurse after about 40 years of work. Um, And um, she bought her first house the year I turned 18. So I actually never got to live in a house, like a single family house. Sure. Because I moved to Long Beach State um, when I was 18. And Long Beach State really changed my life. Uh, It gave me a sense of belonging. It gave me a sense of purpose. I learned I had leadership skills that I never thought I had before. Um, I worked my way through Long Beach State bachelor's and master's. I was what a did, school teacher. Yeah. yeah so I was I just going to ask you, what did you do? What, how did, what, what kind of jobs did you have getting yourself through, through college? I can yeah, relate I to it. Yeah. I was a preschool. Te- oh, I've been working since I was 14. I've mm. never missed a day of work um, for any reason other than like a scheduled vacation or something like that, but been working since I was 14 and I've had a lot of different jobs. I've worked in retail. I've worked in a yogurt smoothie shop. I've worked in, um, as I said, I was a preschool teacher at the Isabel Patterson child development center where my kids ended up going to preschool, you know, years later. And I was also in student government and ended up becoming student body president, which was a paid position. So during graduate school, that's how I paid for graduate school. Um, and then I went to law school and during law school, I was an adjunct professor and I ran a grant at Cal state, which was called Cal state Hayward back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I worked my way through law school too. I was an evening student. I went to school at night, um, and worked during the day. And, um, anyway, I have always loved Long Beach. I wanted to be back in the city as soon as I could. So my husband and I moved here um, when he got a job here and near here. It was in Orange County, but I said, I really want to live in Long Beach. Yeah. So we ended up um, buying a, a condo here. Uh, we ended up having our two kids here. And um, now we have a house near the university uh, that I get to drive by the university every single day as a yes. reminder of you know, where my roots started. 
Yes. And um, I ran for city council about eight years ago. I was involved in the PTA and um, we, we hadn't had a woman or a mom in the position for a very long time. And the moms on the PTA really encouraged me to run and supported my campaign. And um, that's how I got involved in local government. And now I'm running for mayor. Yeah, that's awesome. And if I'm not mistaken, it was a, a traffic light or a stop sign that got th- that started the interest. Yeah, it was it was started a simple thing. It was a crosswalk. Uh, we wanted a crosswalk over by where we have concerts in the park um, because kids used to run back and forth from the you know as parents you sit on one side of the park, music's on the other side of the park, and we would see the kids run back and forth every week, and it was like what? It's just so simple. Why can't we just get a crosswalk? Sure. And then I realized it's really not that simple. I mean, once I got into office, I was like, okay, I'd like my crosswalk now. And they said, yeah, the council members don't get to dictate where crosswalks go. There's a whole science behind it. There's, they have to have the data, they have to do the research. (laughs) And so, you know, I learned a lot about the process. Um, And here I am, you know, 43 crosswalks in my district later. I've learned that there's a lot of great things we've done and a lot of opportunities for us to do even more um, to make this city a city that works for everyone. Yeah. So, Susie, I, I um, met you uh, through a mutual friend, Oscar Vasquez, and I was from the gate um, so impressed with you didn't know me at all. It's our first time meeting and you were so personable. And then I found out, oh, you're my district uh, councilwoman. And I also asked you to in, be involved in a photo shoot and you, I mean, you're so busy and I watch your Instagram and I'm your, the energy that you exude on a daily, like I couldn't do it. How, because this, this platform is wellness and, and I'm talking to so many different people about different modalities. How do you keep yourself and your family and your kids, how do you keep them, keep them running in such a high performance way? Well, you know, I have to say the regular life and having two jobs and being a business owner is one pace. Adding a campaign to it is a whole other dimension. Yeah. Um, and I would be lying if I said that I had mastered the balance that it requires to have sure. good wellness practices. It's a daily challenge. You know, it's just, for me, it's just being mindful yeah, and um, taking the time, just even if it's a few minutes to yes. think about my day and think about what I need to do to make sure that at the end of the day, I feel as good as I possibly can. Because one thing that I've learned about political campaigns is that there's very little you can control. Things come at you that you didn't expect. Things come at you that you did expect, but you didn't think they would be as much of a gut punch as they are. Mm-hmm. And you have to adapt and roll with it. And um, and the only thing that you can do to mitigate some of that discomfort is take a few minutes to make sure that you are taken care of. You're hydrated. You have slept well. If I can get a walk-in, that's amazing to me. It makes all the difference. If I've gotten my walk-in in the day, yeah. you can pretty much throw anything at me and I will deal with it a lot better than if I didn't have my walk. 
Yeah. Um, I've, I've watched you recently. I've watched your, your, your fitness uh, levels increase. And how has that made a difference for you? Well, I'd like to say I kept it up, but I trained for a 5k and I exercised every day leading up to the 5k. Yeah. And I finished. I mean, I wasn't, uh, I was right in the middle, <laughs> but, <laughs> right. but I finished um, and it felt great. And so, you know, to the extent that I can, I want to keep that up. Um, you know, I do a lot of walking on the weekends, but during the work week, sometimes it's hard for me to squeeze it in, but yeah. it makes, it definitely makes a difference if I can keep it up. Definitely makes a difference. Yeah. You know, it's important. It, I, I look at, <clears throat> I think about things differently. I look at, you know, presidential candidates and leadership candidates. And my belief is that you put yourself number one, every, every, everything else falls into place. But the demands that are put on you are just so intense. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult balance, right? So as you look out into the, into the community, what does wellness for a community look like through your eyes? I think wellness for a community um, means that everybody has access to the same core things, open space, um, clean air, uh, good quality water, um, affordable living, so that the stress of life isn't preventing them from being able to enjoy life. Um, the opportunity to have one-on-one -on -one time with their families. That's so important. I didn't have that growing up. My mother worked a lot. And I, although I love her, you know, the idea of us having a day to go have a picnic or a right. hike just completely didn't it didn't yeah. exist. She worked multiple jobs. And the last thing she wanted to do when she wasn't working is go on a hike with me. Right. Sure. And I don't even know that we, you know, we're uh, that's culturally, that's not even something that we grew up doing, but sure. my point is, you know, everybody having the opportunity to avail themselves of the beauty around us and having the city prioritize access for them, no matter what community they live in, um, I think is really important. Um, when I think about wellness on a citywide scale, I think, you know, what kind of subsidized citywide programming do we have to mm. teach people new skills, to connect people, to get people routed into activities that are healthy for the mind and the soul and the body? Um, we should be subsidizing programs like that citywide. Uh, we should be offering um, new opportunities for people to connect and make friends. I mean, that's such a huge part of wellness is having a community where you feel like you belong, mm. um, where you feel like you fit in. To me, that was uh, personally a barrier to success. And I think it's important that as a city, we provide that. Um, but I think, you know, if you have a city where people feel like they don't belong or they feel like the city's not working for them, or the city is causing them more stress than it is relief, um, that we're going the opposite direction of providing wellness in a community. So as in the type of leadership that you would represent, how does that work? Is it just a matter of uh, funding or getting people um, appointed that lead those types of, of projects? How does that work? What does that look like for a city? All of it, funding, of course, is key. 
Uh, without funding, there's very little you can do. Mm. Um, but so funding and providing programming and access citywide is very important. Um, but also, I think putting people who are passionate in this space and passionate about this topic in positions of leadership is also very important. Excellent. Um, and as a city, as a city mayor, do you also work with if if um, if and when you get the 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 seat? Do you also work with other cities, joint with Long Beach or, or uh, Los Angeles or? you know, other cities, do, do other, do mayors get together from a, Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, the focus for any mayor is going to be their own city, of course, enhancing and elevating their own city and the, and the services they provide in their own city. But a lot of times there are projects that you'll collaborate on with nearby cities and even projects that you'll collaborate on nationally with other mayors, new Mm -hmm. initiatives, um, that people are trying as a pilot um, mm-hmm. initiative designed to help elevate life um, for the residents, um, boost the economy um, for the city, um, provide opportunities for access on a larger scale that might be a national coalition. Um, and so, yes, I mean, we we collaborate right now with other cities on a number of things. Um, I'm not sure specifically in the area of wellness, but you know, for example, restoring our wetlands is something that we currently, you know, I chair a committee where I sit with the mayor of Seal Beach. Sure. Um, um, we The ports and goods movement, we collaborate a lot with um, our, our partners at the L.A. port um, and have representatives from their L.A. city council on that committee. And so there's a lot of opportunities, you know, to to collaborate both locally, regionally, but also on a national, national scale. Level. Wow, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and how about our LGBTQ? Uh, what is it? It's LGBTQ plus plus. I, there's, a, there's another one. <laughs> um, how we are one of the most diverse cities in the country and um, with one of the largest LGBTQ uh, plus um, communities. How, what is your viewpoint on making that community stronger? Well, you know, I think it's it's critical. In fact, recently our city um, manager's office brought forth the strategic plan for 2030 and one of the things oh. that I pointed out, um, I was the only council member that pointed it out, but I went early. So, you know, I'm sure others would have brought it up as well. We didn't mention the LGBTQ community at all in our strategic plan. And so it, that's the first step is making sure that we're calling out the community specifically in terms of what their needs might be and that we're working on um, how to um ensure that that community is represented in everything that we do. We cannot have a conversation about equity without talking about the LGBTQ community um, and what their needs are. I mean, things like keeping track of statistics uh, related to health um, of of members of that community we haven't been doing a very good job of that. During COVID, we didn't keep, we, we, we do now, but we didn't sure. start out keeping data um, related to the LGBTQ community. And that was a mistake. And yeah. so, you know, I have reached out to the center here, the LGBTQ center, 
Um, and uh, I think it's important that they have a seat at the table in everything that we do um, and that they're represented because that is one of the beautiful things about the city of Long Beach is that we have a very active and growing LGBTQ population. And um, there's a level of cultural competence that I think is important for city staff, um, our police department, our first responders mm. uh, to know when we're talking about LGBTQ communities, because there's trauma that we want to make sure uh, that we don't um, ignore and that mm. we're mindful of in our policies and in our interactions and in the way that um, the city cares for and makes sure that, that that community has a sense of belonging as well. Yeah, I love that, Susie, because um, the belonging and the community and just feeling a part of particularly, particularly <laughs> as we're coming out of this, this lockdown that we've been in and the cities are coming back to life and to have that community involvement at the forefront. And again, because I, you know, I'm looking at your, your social media, you're, you're just so involved. Like I get tired just looking at how much you're out in the city. Um, what, um, what would you say to, or how do you speak into the homeless, homelessness issue? Because that's also a big issue in safety and having the community out there. What is your viewpoint of, of keeping, of supporting that? Yeah. So I've been, a, I'm a big proponent of what's called street outreach. Um, you know, every single service that we offer or any nonprofit or the city offers to uh, those experiencing homelessness is based on a voluntary acceptance system. There's no compulsory system, at least not yet, that would force people into treatment. Mm -hmm. um, the governor is proposing a CARES court proposal that will be rolled out in select counties starting in January, which I think is good. Uh, we'll have an opportunity to see how that con compulsory uh, service placement um, or service referral will work. But for now, um, getting people to a place where they are voluntarily accepting services is the biggest challenge. And of course, enhancing our capacity to offer services is a challenge. The first thing uh, that I think we need to do is have a very robust street outreach program in every council district. And we don't have to rely exclusively on city staff to do it. We mm. do have now three unarmed, um, not police, uh, but social service, mental health professional staffed teams that go out and do street outreach. But there's only three of them for a city with a population of over 3,000 homeless individuals. And they do not work after 5 p.m. And they don't work on the weekends. So what I would like to have us do is have a more robust partnership with some nonprofits and bring mm. in a nonprofit for each council district, oh, a different cool. one, and pay them to do street outreach. And the street outreach would look like this. Um, you would you would work with the council member to figure out where is the area where we're seeing um, a large population of uh, those experiencing chronic homelessness congregating. We would focus on that area go to that area for two weeks. Nobody would get displaced. Nobody would have to be moved. Nobody would get enforced on nothing. Mm -hmm. The outreach team would just show up, simply show up every day for two weeks. 
And the conversations that they would have, as they are now, would be based on respect and dignity, premised upon where was the last place this person felt safe Mm. and how to get them back to that place. And that relationship starts with basic things. First day, just how are you doing? How are Mm. you feeling? That's a human being. Just Just a human being. Speak to them, connect. Yeah, because the data shows, and there's tons of social science literature on this, that if you invest in someone by your presence, somewhere around day eight or 10, they start to realize, wow, this person is showing up for me. They care about me. They remember your face. It's associated with positivity. And therefore, whatever message you are sharing is going to be received with a lot more acceptance than if they see you today, but they don't see you again for six weeks. Yeah, um, It's very different re- re- a response. And I, we're just not doing that. We can't do that consistently with the infrastructure we have right now. Because they're simply not the people to, to reinforce it. To me, when I hear that, Susie, it speaks to uh, being a very heart-centered leadership. That if mm-hmm. I see people repetitively and, and I'm touched in, in emotionally or physically or just cared upon, yeah, there's a feeling of, of compassion. Mm-hmm. And, and so that would be your vision for that sector. Well, I think it's the first step. Yeah. Um, I think it's the, there's a lot of other things we should be doing. Sure. We should be investing in more um, transitional housing that offers wraparound services. And we are doing that as a city. You know, we're, we've built a lot of transitional housing. In fact, we have one here in my district that I supported and um, helped bring online. Mm. And I'm very actively involved in Uh, transitional housing is key for those who do want to accept a service. And if you don't have transitional housing, then it's just nothing but rhetoric, right? Yeah. So we need to have more transitional housing with on-site wraparound services, and we're working on that. But it starts with street outreach. It starts with daily street outreach, and boots until on we the start, ground. yeah, boots on the ground. And and we don't have the capacity as a city right now, but we can have the capacity if we embrace broader partnerships with nonprofit organizations and community-based organizations that are passionate about this work. Yeah. And then what would, how would you speak into the mental wellness part of it? Mental wellness for some of these um, individuals. Well, a large number of those experiencing chronic homelessness are suffering from some type of mental health issue um, or crisis or trauma. Mm-hmm. And so it's important for us to be mindful of that and understand that that community needs support and stabilization. You know, we can't expect people to mobilize and, and you know, enhance their current status in life if they're not stabilized. And um, stabilization comes in different ways. Sometimes it's therapy. Sometimes it's medication. Um, sometimes it's a simple assessment of what is going on with the person. Um, is it depression? Is it, is it something more severe? Is it, is it a chemical imbalance? What is happening? Um, and you know, one of the things that I started in my day job is a pre, um, arrest pre booking diversion program. So if a first responder comes on site, 
with someone experiencing chronic homelessness and that person is violating some ordinance or law, they're in possession of a controlled substance or they're sleeping in the park or whatever the case may be, rather than make an arrest, the first responders would contact um, my office and we would roll out with the health department um, and we would ask the person, if you are willing to do a one hour assessment, you will not be arrested. No charges will be filed. Nothing will happen. Just a one hour assessment by the health department. That assessment, if they're willing to do it, often can open up so many doors in terms of what is available, what's going on with the person and what's available to help them. Now, whether they'll accept that or not goes back to street outreach. Maybe they don't accept it that day. But their commitment was just to the one hour assessment. But now there's a lot of information that the health department has about that person mm. and what their needs are. So maybe they're a veteran. So the next day, street outreach would involve a veteran going out sure. and talking to them or someone with a lived experience going out and talking to them. So it's just having that opportunity to kind of figure out what's going on with this person. Where were they living before? What's their circumstance? Mm. Is their homeless um, status today as a result of a financial hardship? Or is there something else going on like substance abuse or mental health? So that one hour assessment to me is huge because it informs what kind of street outreach that person's going to get on day two, three, four, up to 12, right? Or 14. Sure. So- um, you know, I do that every day um, yeah. in terms of the work that I'm involved in uh, in my day job. That's actually, and- if I want to pause there for just a minute, right? That's what I was, I want to stop there actually, because again, as I watch you in all of these community, this your community involvement, you have two jobs right now, full-time jobs. Um, and the listener listening on might say, well, how in the heck is this woman going to run Long Beach if she takes over? Um, That's one question. Like, what does that look like? And two, why are you running for mayor? Like, what is the the core reason? Because what I also understand is you were a little bit late to the party. You just decided in January, if I'm not mistaken. And now you're one of you're you're one of two. You and uh, Rex uh, Richardson. Um, So why why did you decide? Why did you decide? And what's what's what happens to your your day job? So if I um, am selected to be the next mayor, I will retire from my career. I have a 23-year career as a criminal prosecutor. Um, I'm currently in wow. executive management, um, and I will I will leave my job um, to serve the city. And uh, why I ran is um, I love the city. I love everything about the city. I have zero political aspirations outside of this role. This is not a stepping stone for me. Um, we've done a lot of great things in the last eight years that I've been on the city council. Um, and I look forward to continuing all the positives, but we also have some challenges ahead of us. And I Mm. think it's important for us to have, um, a city that is led, um, by a mayor who has their eyes on the city and is looking at things like quality of life issues for our residents, Um, ensuring that things like we just had a 62% increase in our homeless population. Um, That has to be a major priority for us. Um, Year after year, we've ended our budget in a deficit. Uh, We're looking at about a 25 to $28 million deficit next year. We've been able to balance the budget through one-time dollars from the federal government that came to us as part of the CARES um, Act Act. or COVID 
uh, related relief. Um, those are federal bailouts that we appreciate, but we cannot run a city if we're not focused on not having a deficit every year. And we've been very lucky. Our revenues have come in higher than expected, and we've gotten relief from the state and federal government in the past that has assisted us. But really, we, we need to, if you're looking long term at a sustainable city, a world class city, um, we need to we need to make sure that we're spending within our means. Um, you know, I'm a big believer. I got my master's in public policy. I did my master's thesis on, on cities and how they deliver services. I'm a big believer that in order to be a world class city that's competitive and continuing to grow, you need to perfect the things that cities can do instead of being focused on things that we wish cities could do, mm. but really are not the core functions of a city. So delivering core services to residents at a high level, a high standard is a critical function of a city. Mm. Attracting business and economic development and generating revenue is something a city can do. Would that be like a more focus on small business development? Would that be something? Of course. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely one component of it. You know, we, we currently devote very little funds to business recruitment and retention. Mm. We, we just hired or we just in the process of budget allocations right now, one position, one position to be, be a business liaison for this entire city. Um, to give you a scope of that, I have a business liaison just for the third district because we have so many businesses here and she works full time helping our businesses. So how we're going to have one person working full time representing the whole city, that's that's a help. It's good, but a a city of our size definitely needs to have a lot more involvement um, from the business community to help us in that endeavor. Um, attracting and retaining um, businesses, recruitment and retention. It's huge. And we spend very little money on it. Yeah. Um, But, you know, things like, you know, trash pickup and street paving and potholes um, and public safety, um, you know, street sweeping, um, you know, the, the number of calls we get from residents and the, the subjects are about the daily quality of life things you know, we build beautiful parks. Right. We don't have money to maintain them. If we cannot maintain our city facilities then at a high level, we're failing our residents. And so these are the things that, you know, perhaps aren't as sexy as, you know, we're going to change the world. Yeah. And- no, it's the little details. It's the little one day at a time. It's the little details that make the biggest impact over time is my belief. And give, right? I agree. I agree. And they give people a sense of pride in the community that they live in. You know, I mean, I know growing up as a single mom, my mother wanted to do right by me. She wanted to feel pride that the community that she was raising me in was good enough for her child. Right. Right. And what parent doesn't want that for their kids? Sure. And so we need to make sure that every resident in the city, no matter what community they live in, has a sense of pride in the community they live in. Sure. You know, things like dumped items on the corner of a street, those impact people's quality of life and their sense of pride in their community. Right. Um, You know, walking to the park and seeing trash that hasn't been picked up uh, after a a large, you know, picnic holiday in the park, that's not acceptable. As a city, we need to make sure that 
our beaches. People shouldn't be walking along the beach and seeing trash or syringes and things like that. Uh, We need to focus on the things that cities can do as our number one function. And if we do that, we're going to see a huge uh, improvement in quality of life for most residents. I love that. So Susie, I like to keep these, uh, these, these talks in like 30 to 45 minutes. So in the last 10 minutes, I have just a couple of questions. What do you see as the biggest areas of, um, that are challenged right now in Long Beach, our biggest challenged areas? Oh, well, homelessness, of course, Yeah, big issue for us, crime. Um, we're seeing crime up in most categories citywide. Um, and affordability, huge issue for residents right now. And what would your, what would your vision be? We talked about homelessness to, uh, just kind of summarizing the, um, the affordability and safety. So for safety, it's a three prong approach. We definitely need to make sure we have enough police officers. We're down about 200 right now. So we need to retain the officers we have. I've proposed a retention bonus. Uh, to keep those officers uh, employed while we have new officers go through the academy. Mm. Uh, We have the funding, we have the vacant positions, we just need to fill them. Um, We don't have all 200, but we certainly have enough to make a dent if we can fill those vacancies. And that's got to be a critical priority for us. Um, Making sure our police department is, is held accountable and that the community has trust in them uh, through things that I champion, like the body worn camera and better training um, in the area of police reform, I think it's important and investing in youth programming. That's the third prong or the third uh, leg in the stool yeah. of public safety, making sure that we're programming people into positive activities early on so that they're um, having bit different pathways um, as alternatives to crime or criminal activity. So that's some kind of the public safety piece affordability, you know, really focusing on, what we can do as a city to provide subsidized programming for youth and um, and seniors so that as costs go up all around them and everything else, they have programming that's designed for wellness and positive engagement that is subsidized by the city or free. Um, and then also just doing our best to build a reasonable um, realistic, affordable housing, things mm. like accessory dwelling units, which offer housing at different price points, you know, working with landlords to um, encourage and incentivize them accepting Section 8 vouchers. Like we just had a workshop in my district. Um, our biggest stock of affordable housing right now is current stock that exists. It's just getting landlords to work with the city mm. um, in providing those units and making them accessible Got it. to those who need them. Um, and, and that's critical and that's really important. And then making sure that all new developments that come online in the city housing developments have some sort of affordable housing component attached to them so that we have people with different incomes living in various new housing um, developments so that we can integrate our diverse city better and give people opportunities to live in, all throughout the city. That's fantastic. Um, as you're as you're talking and coming into this position, two things I'm, I'm impressed upon. One, a 23-year career as a city prosecutor for Orange County. That has to come up with a big 
uh, I mean, had, have you stayed? There's retirement and all of the all of the fluff that comes along with being in a position like that. That's a big sacrifice. And you made it because your love for the city. Yeah, I love the city. You know, I don't want to be one of those people who sits on the couch and watches a council <laughs> meeting and yells at the TV. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's just never, it's never been who I am. I yes. mean, look, I got involved because I was in the PTA and <laughs> wanted a crosswalk, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I tell everyone, you know, I'm going to give the effort, my best effort, my best shot. All I have, I'm going to give to the effort and and it'll be up to the residents to decide what do they want for the future of the city. But I don't want to have any regrets that, look, I was in a position, which is a very unique position to have some name ID and the understanding of the city to be able to lead at the next level. Um, And I'm going to, rather than talk about this person not being the best for the position, I'm going to give it, you know, the effort that I would expect people who love their community would give in terms of civic engagement and take on that additional role. And it really, at the end of the day, is up to the voters to decide. But I care and love the city very much. And, you know, am I perfect? And will every decision I make be agreed upon by everybody? No, but that's true of any anybody. Policymaker. Sure. You can't yeah. please everybody. It's impossible. It's just impossible. And, and, and I just I want to recall, you just, you just triggered something in my mind. I used to watch the city council meetings when Beverly O'Neill was our mayor. And it used to just crack me up the way she, I mean, she was just so poised in how she would navigate through the district, um, the district councils. And I, that's kind of when I started getting involved and in, in really paying attention who's leading. So with this platform, I just think it's important um, I just actually got a response from Rex Richardson's office. Your response came the same day. Um, they just responded and that was like over a month ago. So, um, we're going to see if we can also get him on to, to hear his voice. Right. I think it's on, only fair that people hear it both. Um, so Susie, I have two last questions. Any parting words that you'd like to share with the listener that's saying, who's this woman? What is she doing? Why should I, why should I vote for her? Why should I even care? Well, I mean, no, my parting words uh, wouldn't necessarily be about me. They'd be about you. Um, I love Uh that you're doing this. Um, I'm grateful that you invited me to be a part of it. And I think uh, platforms like this are a really great way to bring our city together and highlight the best of what we have. And so I'm just really grateful to have uh, had the opportunity to share. And there's really nothing more I can share about who I am that I haven't already shared. Yes. In terms of parting words, I would just tell people it's important to get out there and educate yourself and vote um, and uh, be true to who you are. And um, I really am grateful that I have met you along this journey. It's been um, a true privilege for me. Uh, That is so beautiful. What you just showed me right now, Susie is servant leadership, leading from behind in a powerful way, because I believe that it's not you that do it. Yes, it is your leadership in the vision that you cast, but it's the the community that gathers around that vision because the individuals in Mm -hmm. our community get the job, the work done. So thank you. I accept that, Mm -hmm. uh, that compliment and I accept your, your support and your kind words. Now, this is the most important question. What is your favorite dessert? 
Coconut cake. Coconut cake. That's a first. <laughs> and how do you equate? I coconut- love coconut. <laughs> how do you equate coconut cake to wellness? Well, um, when I eat coconut cake, it makes me happy. And being happy is critical to good wellness. Yay. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Susie, thank you so much for having for being here today. It was it was fun. We had a couple of hiccups earlier and I'm glad that we were able to connect today. And um, I'm I'm actually with my family. I'm here with my nieces because it's about relations as well. And I've committed to making stronger relationships with my nieces and my sister. So here I am. And I just couldn't wait to get you on today. So thank you. Have a beautiful day. And listener, um, we're going to wrap up another uh, episode of Dessert with D. Thank you for listening in your car or in your home or in your room or in the daytime or the morning, whenever you're listening to this. I appreciate it. Um, I look forward to more editions to come. And if you are listening and would like to be a, a guest, um, you just follow the links and we'll have you on. Thank you for listening. And if you found value in this episode and know of someone who deserves to hear this story, Can you please pass this on for me? It is my life's mission to touch as many lives as possible, and it would mean so much if you could take a few seconds, share this message, leave a five-star review to help me enrich lives through interaction. Thank you, and until next time, with light and love, be well.